Welcome to the Lakeside Baptist Church Podcast. We pray you are blessed as you hear the Word of God today. For more information regarding Lakeside Baptist Church, please visit lakeside.asn.au. we together this morning to continue in our series on God's people, God's way. And I want to share with you just about the, the, the love of God, the love of God. Um, I, a few years ago, discovered Sudoku, and uh, you'll see a, a little picture there, and, and it almost uh, became addicted to it. Um, and it was only a phase that I was going through, apparently a midlife crisis. But anyway, I, I kind of, you know, when it keeps you awake uh, at night, and, and because there's only one way of doing it, and you've got to get it right. Kind of the concept of first is first and second is nowhere. And so you've got to get this right. So you, uh, and I, I was quite wise because I did it with a pencil. And so you rub it out if, in case it's wrong. But when it comes to the love of God, we can often misunderstand uh, the love of God. And we ask questions like, uh, what is God really like? Um, you know, uh, especially during this time with, with what's going on in the world. Uh, where is God in all of this? Uh, Bette Midler sang the song, uh, from a distance God is watching us, you know, and, and as if he created the heavens and the earth and absconded, and so left us to our own devices. Um, you know, and, and if you do believe in God, what kind of God uh, do we really believe in? Uh, sometimes... Uh, if you believe in God and it's so twisted, it's uh, probably better that, and again, it's not the best, but better, better you didn't believe in, in a God that sometimes we think is, is a cruel God or God who, who takes things and is almost against us. So this erroneous concept of God uh, is dangerous to have. Uh, and, you know, philosophy often does that. It, it is able to justify certain things about God, uh, even uh, if they are wrong. And so uh, the best way to find what God is like is through his word and to read it and study it to see what God is truly like. Well, this morning we take a look at um, the prophet Zephaniah. And um, he was one of those prophets uh, who could easily get into trouble because uh, he, he speaks the word of the Lord. And so the word prophet comes from the word prophetis, one who is pro, goes forward, and sows uh, a seed. Thus saith the Lord. And so they don't speak on their own understanding, but on what God has revealed to them. And he uh, spoke under the reign of, of King Josiah, who was the king of Judah, and that king reigned for 20 years. And it was a time, a very difficult time, where King Josiah actually found the law in the temple. And so he brought it back to the people so they could obey the law. But unfortunately, he also allowed himself to worship some of the false gods, very similar to Solomon last week, where he was able to come in and say, yes, we're going to come back to the law. Unfortunately, uh, he was able to also uh, have one foot in, in the side of those who were um, worshipping the false gods. And so he was calling people back to God, but not totally back to God because uh, his heart was not in the best place. 
And so uh, this book of Zephaniah is not often read. Uh, in fact, some people don't even know who Zephaniah is. Is it a book uh, in the Old Testament? Are you serious? Uh, who is this Zephaniah? But that's fine. I think the main point in this book of Zephaniah is chapter 2, verse 3, where it says, Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land who do his commands. And so he says, seek the Lord. But he carries on, he says, seek righteousness and seek humility. So that's chapter 2, verse 3. And uh, the, the book is mainly made up of warnings. But they are good warnings. It's, that's what the law is all about. Uh, you know, our son is learning to drive and he's driving. And, and so you say to him, when the traffic light is red, you need to stop. You know, when it's orange, that means something. Beware. The end could be near. You know, and so stop. <laughs> because when you abide by the law, your life will be spared. But if you break the law, your life could be taken. But sadly, the life of those around you as well. And so this book is a book uh, about uh, judgment, about warnings, but of also of great promises. And it's something kind of that is so good uh, that it's sometimes hard to fathom. And, and uh, we, we have this beautiful passage in Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 14 to 17. It says, Sing, daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord, and you'll see the Lord there, is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. So that's kind of the supreme God. Yahweh is the Hebrew translation. Yahweh. Yahweh. The supreme being, this self-existent eternal God is what that uh, word is. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. And so it's a beautiful, beautiful chapter, a beautiful passage. But we also need to remember chapter 2, verse 3 where he says, seek the Lord, seek righteousness, and seek humility. I think the first point there is that there is a, an awesome future for those who love God. For those who love God. And, and this passage that we've just read uh, has, has that promise that there is a, a glorious future uh, for the godly, for those who love God the Lord Jesus Christ. And yes, this was spoken of in the Old Testament to the Israelites. But those who believe in Jesus Christ are the seed of Abraham because of who Jesus Christ is. And so he's saying, listen, there is a glorious future because God is a God of love. But you need to seek him. You need to seek righteousness. You need to seek humility. And as you seek those things, there is nothing to fear about. And so he comes and explains that to the people. And we won't be put to shame 
because our deeds are far from God or anything like that. But it goes without saying that when you seek this, there will be blessing. In fact, in Deuteronomy 28, there was the, the, the blessings for obedience, but also the cursings for disobedience. So when you know the Lord, it goes without saying that you begin to serve him. Now, I'm not talking about know about God. I'm talking about know God intimately. You know, uh, some authors talk about knowing God. Gnosis. Through the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament. But Paul talks about epignosis. So the very center of your life revolves around who the Lord Jesus Christ is. Because when you begin to understand who he is, there is this automatic response of obedience, is what Paul wants to show us. And that's what happens when you are in Christ. En Christo. When you are in him. Once upon a time you were ex, you were outside. Ex-Christ. Outside of Christ. But you were foreigners and aliens. Now we've been brought in. And folk, that's important because we need to understand the true and living God and what he is like from a biblical perspective. And he says, seek the Lord. That word seek, bakwash, has got to do with ask and beg. It, it, It means to strive after, to search and to inquire who the Lord is. And he talks about seek that and seek righteousness, those things that are right, and seek humility. In other words, you don't put yourself first, but you come before the Lord and you bow before him and you seek him first. You bow your head metaphorically before him and you seek his plan and purpose rather than my own plan and purpose. He says that's important because when you begin to do that, Because of what Jesus Christ has done, you will escape the wrath of God. Now, how do we do that? Well, if you're not guilty, you don't mind going to stand before the judge. But if you're guilty, then you're in trouble. If you were to go to court and you were not guilty because you're just coming there to be a witness, you go there because you're not in trouble. You're a witness to what you saw or heard or experienced. But here, we will escape the wrath of God because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. So he says, seek him. And when you do that, this is an important point here, you enter into this place of divine joy. Now, what does that mean? Well, verse 1 says, sing, daughter, verse 14, sing, daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, Israel. Shout aloud, Israel. Be glad. And that word glad, be full of joy. And there's this repetition, we praise you, Lord, we praise you, Lord, we praise you, Lord, we praise you, Lord. There's this repetition uh, and rejoicing with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. Why? Because we are humble and lowly, and we've come before the God of eternity. And then in verses 15 and 20, he talks about the reason why we can rejoice. Why? Because the judgment of God, God has been turned away from us. Turned away. The evil is removed. Why? Because of Jesus Christ, he has made us not guilty. No more condemnation in verse 15. Every enemy, every opponent, uh, every hindrance of joy has been taken out of the way, he says. has been cast out. It's far from us. And in other words, there is no more fear. Rejoice, O daughter of Jerusalem, he says. And folk, 
The most amazing promise is found in verse 17 where he says, The Lord will rejoice. And that word rejoice, he will shine bright. It will be clear before you. The Lord will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in his love. Jesus said in Luke 15, verse 7, There is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And that's exactly what what Zephaniah uh, is is saying in that particular context. tells us that, that those who repent, who seek righteousness, who are humble before the Lord, those sinners gather before God, and he will rejoice. And, and it's, um, it's amazing. There will be uh, no disapproval before God. He will approve of you and of me. There will be no guilt. There will be no frown because of what he has done. And I think of a relationship between a father and a child. There will be no kind of, mm, don't, no. Nah. And often the silence uh, speaks louder than the words. I know if our son comes and does something wrong and I just go, hmm. It's amazing, this Greek word, hmm. And I just look, he goes, what's wrong, Dad? Hmm. He knows exactly what's wrong. It's called the Holy Spirit. It's called his conscience. He knows exactly what's wrong. And here, uh, it's not as if God looks at us with, with disapproval. No, it says that he will rejoice with gladness. He will exult over you with a shout of joy. That word exult, he will rule, uh, he will spin around. I don't want to do the Michael Jackson, but you know what I mean? He will spin around in rejoicing over you and over me because of what he has done through Jesus Christ for us. He will be happy over you and over me. There will be this shout for joy. This triumphal shouting, yes, the battle is won. Isaiah 62, 5, as a bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. There's an awesome future for those who love God. Because we often think in the Old Testament, God is there to judge us. And every time we put a foot wrong, he's there to hit me, to wipe me out. But if I seek him, if I seek righteousness, if I seek humility, there is always a God who rejoices over me. You think the question, will God really rejoice over us? Is that possible that God, who is this dignified God, will actually rejoice over you and over me? This judge, this one who is there to, to, to judge between right and wrong, will actually uh, judge me? Yes, he will judge me. But when I'm not guilty, because of what Jesus Christ has done, he set me free. So he will rejoice over us. Similar to what happened in the New Testament, where he rejoices over one sinner that comes into his kingdom. So we ask the question, uh, isn't that uh, sort of um, wrong for, for, for God to, to rejoice over us? Isn't that quite undignified of God? And isn't it not right for God to carry on this way? Well, that's exactly what a father does when a child has accomplished something. 
That's exactly what a father does. Why? Because they are of same blood. No father says, well, you got the gold medal. Not good enough. Not good enough. He rejoices. He rejoices. There is a smile on his face, and there's twice as big a smile in his heart, if you like. And that father is jumping around in his heart. Why? Because of who he is and what his son has accomplished. And you ask the question, well, doesn't that belittle God where he kind of is happy about you and me? And I think that is often where we misunderstand who God is. He's our father and we are his children. And when we begin to think about his love for us, he rejoices over us. Why? Because we are his handiwork. And Ephesians 2.10 tells us that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. And that word uh, workmanship is, is the word bima, where I think we get the English word poem, where it's kind of set out and it's, it's put down a line by line and kind of something uh, beautiful is made out of it. And he has created us. He's, uh, that word means manufacture, but you know what I mean? He is, he's made us, and you're not going to go and tell God he's made that Christophine is. You actually messed that one up, God. Your wife might agree with you, but not, uh, not God. Why? Because we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship. He made us to serve him, and when we serve him and are humble and are righteous, mission accomplished. We are his creatures. And that's what Zephaniah 3.12 is all about, where God has created us. In the midst of Zion, he has allowed us to prosper. He has allowed us to prosper. And we read about that in chapter 2, verse 3, as I mentioned, and chapter 3, verse 14, as we read. And he rejoices and he exalts over us. There's a beautiful parable in Luke chapter 15, and, and you know it well, it's, it's three parables together. And, and Jesus gives these parables so they can understand what he's talking about. The first one is about the lost sheep. There's a there's hundred sheep, one goes missing, but there's another 99. Why does that shepherd go after that one sheep? Because he sees the value of one. Then there is this lady with a headdress, and she loses one coin. Or just go and get another coin and sew it back on there. What's the big fuss? No, it's that one coin, and it's got so much more value, the value of one. Then he gives us this beautiful parable of the prodigal son, and I'll read it to you. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together, all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out 
and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. They got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. This parable is called the prodigal son, which prodigal means kind of unwise and, and uh, you know, prude, unwise spending, if you like, lavishly spending, that, that prodigal son. But the key figure in this parable is actually not the son, it's the father. It's the father. And we need to understand the nature and the beauty of the character of God. And that's exactly what Jesus is wanting to teach those he's telling this parable to. Perhaps you and I. Very similar to what that passage in Zephaniah chapter 3 was all about. That God will rejoice over us. Why? Because he loves us. Because he loves us. We learn a couple of things about this. And I think the first thing we need to learn is that affectionate love mourns our foolish behavior. Mourns our foolish behavior. Now, folks, there are, uh, as we discovered a couple of weeks ago, uh, there are eight Greek words for love. But the, the, the one or three of them are used in the New Testament. But the one that, that Jesus speaks about here is the word agape. The love of, uh, that is supreme that moves away from egocentric self. The love that put Jesus on the cross, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. And as we believe in him, we don't perish, but he rejoices over us and we have eternal life. And so this affectionate love is what you and I inherit. Here is a, a son who goes and demands his inheritance from his father. And so the culture at the time said that if you were the oldest son, you would inherit two-thirds, and any other son would inherit a third. So there was an older brother who was going to get two-thirds when father passed on, and here this younger brother goes and asks for his inheritance. Now, folks, that's quite heavy, because what he's actually saying to his father, father, you are actually bad. I wish you were dead. Can you give me my inheritance, please? Father was wounded, and, but granted this young man his wish. He might have had to go and sell some of his property to, to liquidate himself so he could give it over to his youngest son. And he does that. And as he does that, uh, there is this uh, notion that this son is extremely rebellious and disrespectful. Now, folks, we're not talking about Perth as a city of two million people. We're talking about a, a village. And everybody would have known about what just took place. They would have known that this is a rebellious person, and so he needed to go off into another place so word does not get around. 
but also the name goes out the window. What a bad father he is. He must be so bad that his son wishes him dead and wants to basically uh, get away from his father. So he takes his inheritance and goes and squanders it. Really painful for the father. And it says that when the son was away off, and you can imagine each night as the father has his dinner, he thinks about this and it begins to affect him. And he's looking out the window over his brick wall. Maybe he can see his son come back. The one night just before dinner, he looks and he sees this, 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 this person who is, is, is kind of down and in, in rags and shoulders are down. And he goes and sees his son still a long way off. What does he do? He takes his robe, which is kind of not what a rich man would do. He puts it under his arm, shows off his legs, <laughs> shameful in that culture, and he runs toward his son. Why does he do that? Because although he is shameful of his son's behavior, he still is a father and loves him. Loves him with a love that cannot compare to any other love in the world. It's a different love between a husband and wife. That's eros. It's a different love. Uh, but this love is the love of God that he is able to allow you and I to come to him despite our past, despite what we have done. He goes and jumps on his son. Secondly, this affectionate love is always available if you want. Even if the son has uh, squandered his money, it says in verse 13 that uh, the only six words that Jesus uses, he squandered his wealth in wild living. The akopizo is the word. He separated his, his, himself from his family and squandered it. The way uh, that word means the way you separate wheat and chaff, he separated the two away from one another. And he separated himself from his family. And so while he was kind of out there doing his wild living, uh, he comes to his senses. He's been to the casinos, uh, if it's in present day uh, Australia, he's been to the bars, uh, to the strip joints, blew all his funds. And it says, when he came to his senses, he was almost separated from himself because that's not normal behavior. When he brought himself toward himself, if you like, is what that word means. When he came to himself, he came back. In other words, he, he put his pride in his pocket. Uh, he was able to, to, to basically uh, understand that what he has done is wrong. And it's interesting because scholars have discovered a very similar story uh, in uh, the Jewish writings that talks about uh, a young man uh, who is rebellious toward his father. And that young man uh, is normally taken and brought before the leaders of the village. And he can be put to death. In fact, if we read Deuteronomy uh, chapter 21, verses 18 to 21, it says, If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey... 
His father and mother shall bring him to the elders and say, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a profligate and drunkard. What will happen? He can be put to death. But Jesus takes that very same story and he twists it and basically speaks in their face about the love of God. And he said it twice before through the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin. But now he brings it home. He brings it home. And he goes and explains to them that despite his son being a rebel, as he comes home, he goes and pounces on his son and he begins to, it's beautiful, it must have been Greek, katafileo, he says here in verse 20, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, he was filled with compassion, that word splachnizome means pity, sympathy, moved deep down inside, he was moved in the bowels as it were, and he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. That word katafileo means he smothered him with kisses. I was going to bring my son up here and do that. And he escaped and went to the youth church. And I won't do that to you, Brandon. But he smothered him with kisses. Why? Because of this affectionate love that is always available when you come to your senses. It's a love that cannot be fathomed. And so he comes and and hugs his his son and kisses him. Remember what it said in chapter 3, verse 17 of Zephaniah, the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. He's happy with you and with me. When we come to our senses, when we realize we've messed up, he's happy to love us. And to kind of overwhelm us with kisses. Not with rebuking, but with kisses. Why? Because we've come to our senses. And thirdly, and in closing, this affectionate love restores the broken heart. It's an amazing love, as I mentioned. And so he comes to his senses after tasting the pig pen. And so he begins to rehearse his speech. Perhaps you've never read it before, but he, he, he actually says, when I go home, I will tell my father this. And what does he tell the father he, in his rehearsal? That I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you, father. And I'm not worthy to be your son. So, as he rehearses that, before he can say anything, when the father sees him, he runs to him. And he jumps on him and kisses him. And says, Father, I'm not worthy to be your son because I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you, Father, and I'm not worthy to be your son. And if we're honest with ourselves this morning, we've all done that. We've all done that. Even if we are nerds, we've all sinned against God through our rebellion. We've all sinned against our parents, whatever it might be. Even if they don't know it, we have rebelled in some way. And also, because of our sin, we should actually be separated. 
But now he accepts us just as we are. We never deserve to be a child of God. Folk, I don't know what your theological view is, but if you think that God is lucky because you serve him, I think read again with all due respect. It is God who came knocking on your heart and on my heart's door. And by his grace, by his mercy, we responded. Not we did the first thing. He took the first step. He gave his son to you and to me. What does the father say? Kill the fatted calf, bonus. Give him new sandals. And only slaves never wore sandals. Only those who lived at home, who were part of the family, wore sandals. Give him new sandals. Give him a new robe. And give him the ring that he had before. In other words, everything has been restored. Why? Because of the affectionate love of the Father. Let us rejoice because that one sheep has been found, the coin has been found, and the son has come home. As you sit here this morning, perhaps you've messed up. Perhaps you've missed it a little bit, or a lot. And you, 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 it's hard to, to fathom this affectionate love of God. But I beg you this morning, let God be God and let him love you. Let him love you just as you are. Because he is a God that loves. Just as he is the father of you and of me. Let God be God and let him love you. May you feel this amazing love that is not out there to wipe you out, but is there to love you. And you and I need to come back and make that choice the way this prodigal son made the choice to come back to the father and give him a chance to love us just as he longs to do. The greatest thing in the world to be loved by the creator of the universe. Family, friends will let you down. Not the love of God. Let God be God today. Let him love you. Let's have a look at this little clip, three minutes, as we end the service. That's for evening. Τι είναι αυτό; Μόλις τώρα στο παπατέρας πουργιτίνι.
Τι είναι αυτό. Ένα σπουργίτη είναι ο πατέρα. Ένα σπουργίτη. Σπουργίτη. Τι είναι αυτό. Γιατί το κάνεις αυτό το πράγμα, μπορείς να μου πεις τόσες φορές σου είπα, είναι ένα σπουργίτη. Δεν το καταλαβαίνεις. Πού πας. Δυνατά. Σήμερα ο μικρός μου γιος που πριν λίγες μέρες έκλεισε τα τρία καθόταν μαζί μου έξω στο πάρκο όταν ένα σπουργίτη κρίστηκε και κάθεσε απέναντί μας. Ο γιος μου με ρώτησε 21 φορές τι ήταν αυτό και το απάντησα και τις 21 φορές ότι ήταν ένα σπουργίτη. Αγκάλιασα τρυφερά και τις 21 φορές που μου έκανε την ίδια ερώτηση ξανά και ξανά χωρίς να εκνευριστώ νιώθοντας στοργή για το οθό μου αγοράκι. You've messed up 21 times or more, or just once. The Father wants that back. His love, His love is waiting for us with open arms that we come back to Him. So He can restore us and we can be part of the family of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to our hearts. Thank you that it's not by might, nor by power, but only by your Holy Spirit that we can fathom these things. Thank you for this love, Lord. This love that sent Jesus to the cross so we can have life and have it to the full. Lord, draw us back to you, we pray. Reveal yourself to us. We long to serve you and you alone. Thank you, Lord.